0: Good morning everybody, it's good to have you with us, welcome, I'm Ciarán, it's my pleasure to have you here with us today, especially for those of you who are visiting, it's great to have you among us, we're in the last of our talks in the book of Jude, Contend for the Faith, and that's on page 1027. This morning we'll be thinking about, in closing the series, how to contend for the faith by building up our own faith by reaching out and to do all that for god's glory that's where we'll be going this morning as we've done each week we'll read the book in full to get it into our bloodstream and help us with the context and then this morning we'll look at verses 17 down to the end verse 25 jude a servant of jesus christ and brother of james to those who are called ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own positions of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And so reads God's word. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the glory and the joy, the dominion and majesty and authority that this book closes with. Thank you that these things are true of you. They have been true of you since the dawn of our time, true of you for an eternity beyond our grasp. We pray as we think through this final section of this book that your spirit would impress your truth upon our hearts. May we contend for the faith even as we listen now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now if you're new to some of the things that we've already read in Jude and you're new to this series today, there is time after for some questions. So if you've got some from today, from the last couple of weeks, if you were here, there's an opportunity for those afterwards. If you have no questions, that's fine too. you You can come and get me. So we're thinking through this theme of contending for the faith by building your faith, by reaching out and for God's glory. And as I was looking through Jude, I was reminded of a... Scottish minister recently whose name's Scott McKenna and he has denounced any notion that Jesus died for our sins and he has been preaching against it and he described how he was at a university campus at, at a debate with the atheist society or the uh, humanist society rather and He was explaining his position. And a student came to him and said, but I thought Jesus died for our sins. I thought that was intended, that that was God's plan. And he said, well, I listened very graciously. And then I said to her, no, 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 no. That's ghastly theology. Don't go anywhere near it. Don't go there. And he says later in his sermon, quote, uh, I'm almost embarrassed explaining this theology because it is well past its sell-by date. And in some sense, it's quite immoral. Our evolutionary universe requires a different message. And the real message of the Christian faith is inner transformation. Now, that's just in the last few months, and that is a categorical denial of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That is precisely the kind of thing that we read about in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devo- devoid of the spirit. You know, how do we respond to instances like that that I've just described? How do we contend for the faith when we're confronted with an explicit denial like that of Scott McKenna and perhaps more subtle denials that often go unnoticed as they creep in Well, we firstly have got to build ourselves up in the faith you know like when you're in the airplane oh, it hasn't happened me, thankfully but if there's an emergency the oxygen masks come down they tell you look after the look after yourself first before you can look after anybody else Well, it's similar like this if we're to build ourselves up in the if we're to contend for the faith we've got to look after our own health the oxygen of the gospel for ourselves first And so he says in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I think we can become discouraged and fearful when we see the church making a mess of it. Or when we see perhaps someone we once respected being disgraced or a famous leader Within the evangelical world at the moment, being disgraced or falling, it can be very destabilising and discouraging, and we become deeply affected, wondering whether we believe the right faith after all. Maybe this causes us to question everything, and so we need to build ourselves up in the faith, so we can weather the storms that come, whether they're on a larger scale or, or more more subtle, so that when they do arrive we will be able to, build, to have had, build ourselves up in the faith to know how to respond to them. And partly how we prepare for that is to soak ourselves in the truth of the gospel once for all delivered to the saints, to build ourselves up in that. We build our faith. That's what he says in verse 20, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And so it's incumbent upon us to develop and mature by remembering that false teachers will come to expect that and come perhaps right into our lives and into our churches. And if we remember that we have been warned about just that, then we won't be caught off guard and we won't be wounded perhaps so deeply in our own faith if we've built up a level of expectation. And so we partly build on our faith, build up our faith by remembering that there will be those who come and do not follow the truth of the gospel but follow themselves that do bring division and not unity and who love the world in the negative sense in that they they don't care for the once and for all truth and they do as they please. They may think that they are being very progressive, and very modern in their spirituality, very culturally sensitive and culturally informed, pious and even in positions of respect and authority but actually if you deny the once for all faith given to the saints you are devoid of the spirit you have no faith and you never were truly of faith it's a corrective to our tendency to idolize favorite speakers and people and and movements It's a corrective to our our celebrity-obsessed culture, even within uh, our Christian circles. And a reminder that we must fix our hopes only upon Jesus and on the gospel itself. To fix our devotions on the gospel once and for all. To expect that some will prove actually in the end to be false. But we must contend for the faith by remembering, firstly, that we have been told exactly that will happen and build ourselves up in the faith. So how do we do that? Verses 20 to 21 give us this uh, little snapshot of what that looks like in building ourselves up, in praying in the Holy Spirit, and keeping ourselves in the love of God, and in waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So it's a snapshot of what a healthy faith looks like. It's the bread and butter of building our faith. And we have that responsibility. We have a responsibility to build, to work at it, to to think and act in a way that is in keeping with the gospel, to pray in keeping with the gospel, to love in keeping with the gospel. For some of us, we've maybe bought into a sort of a, a bubble bath version of Christianity where you just lie back and let Jesus love you. And you just, you don't wrestle, you just nestle. You don't do anything. But what we find when we read Jude and we read the New Testament as a whole is we need to be proactive and involved and building ourselves up in light of what God has done for us and in God's strength. It's not let go and let God, but God keeps you so you keep going. And the constant New Testament emphasis is that God secures your salvation in Christ, in the gospel, in everything Jesus has done on the cross. Now, you work that out in his strength. You work that out with fear and trembling. It's your responsibility to grow in everything that God has done for you. Both are emphasized right through, and it's here in this letter as well. We've been told already that we're called over in verse 1, that we're kept and we're beloved, and then we build ourselves up. We build ourselves up in the faith. He says it again in verse 24. He reminds us that he is able to keep us. So we have these bookends of what God has done, and then here at this point, our responsibility. Get building, get praying, get loving. Keep yourselves in the faith. Build yourselves up. So how do you do that? first thing plainly is you've got to read the scriptures there's no two ways around that you've got to soak yourself in the once for all faith entrusted to the apostles to the to the church to us you've got to read the scriptures soak yourselves in them you can't grow otherwise and maybe get someone who'll read it with you as an encouragement get going in your journals maybe tackle a book of the bible you've you've never read before Maybe choose one New Testament book you'd like to really familiarize yourself with. Or read some good books that will give you some basic building blocks on the faith. Or memorize some scriptures. John back there. Give us a wave there, John. Do you know John has written an Android app? Useless to me because I have an iPhone. But he's he's written an Android app to help you memorize scripture. John will tell you about that later. There are other apps like that to help get the scriptures into our blood that we can build ourselves up. You can listen online now to hordes of really useful things. The Gospel Coalition is a great resource. There's a website called bethinking.org to help you think through the issues of the day, for example. We build ourselves up by committing to church. We don't hop from one church to the next. We talk to each other about our faith, not just about work. Or about the everyday things, but we do that in the context of our faith. And it's not a lone project that we're talking about when we build each other up, build ourselves up. It rather is for us as a community. And the picture of the Christian life is a lot more like a building site than a museum, and we're working together in building one another up so get yourself soaked in the scriptures and talk to one another about it also you gotta you pray pray in the holy spirit again there there's no there's no two ways around building ourselves up in the faith without prayer and in this instance when he talks about praying in the holy spirit he's not talking about praying in, in tongues there's a lot more information on that elsewhere in the scriptures but it's not what's going on here really just seems to be pray like a Christian because the Holy Spirit is working in us, enabling and encouraging and helping us to pray. And elsewhere, Paul, for example, writes that pray in the Spirit all types of prayers and requests in all occasions. To pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray as a Christian. And I'm convinced in part that we don't pray because we have somehow told ourselves that well you know God doesn't mind if we don't and perhaps secretly we think it doesn't make any difference or we use the excuse of wanting to avoid legalism you know I don't need to pray because God loves me anyway and I, you know I don't want I don't want to at this idea that well I have to pray or else I'm not, I'm not God won't love me and we maybe try to avoid legalism and then end up not praying anyway but Jews tells us that as loved believers as people who are in God's purposes in order to build ourselves up that we pray in the Holy Spirit and we keep ourselves in the love of God and of course the the, the first thing about reading the scriptures and praying in the Holy Spirit the scriptures and the spirit go together and we'd be praying scripture to help us along and then he talks about keeping ourselves in the love of God. Maybe that's an uneasy notion for some of you. Does that mean you might step outside of his love? Doesn't, doesn't God love us unconditionally? Why, why would he say to, to keep ourselves in God's love? Well, in this context that he's writing here, it is doesn't have anything got to do with how you become a true follower of Jesus, but it has everything to do with how we maintain a relationship with him in response to that work that he has done in calling us. He has shown us his love in calling us, calling us beloved in verse one, called beloved and kept. And now we have a responsibility to keep ourselves in that love. That is our part of responsibility. And so what he's saying is keep behaving in a way that's consistent with and complements how God has called you. Keep your relationship with the Lord warm. Keep pursuing him. Keep seeking him. And Jesus spoke in a similar way to his disciples when he told them to abide in me. And he said, you know, you show your love to me in your obedience and keep yourself in my love. Abide in me. And in this letter, of course, the false teachers are doing nothing of the sort and thus show that they do not actually love God and are devoid of his spirit. But you, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. And a faith that's building in this way is one that longs to see Jesus face to face. See how he finishes this little triad? triad waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. There's an eager anticipation, no fear of judgment, but the prospect of mercy secured by Jesus, a mercy that paves the way into eternal life itself. And when we find ourselves at the dawn of that great day, when we meet Jesus, we will see the terrible beauty of God in all his fullness, his blinding holiness, his perfection, And we will see the wonder of the cross of Christ and everything that that has truly achieved. How his death in our behalf has made us clean, right with God, free from judgment. And our hearts will swell with a sense of thanksgiving and praise and joy for the mercy we have been shown in the once for all faith. So we contend for the faith by building ourselves up in the faith. Secondly, by by reaching out He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I think sometimes when we see either an individual faltering in the faith or we see something on a bigger scale, like I mentioned at the start, we can say, well, you know, it's not my problem. I see that that's an issue, but it's not for me to sort and i reckon we probably do that more than we should as christians we can buy into the idea that whatever's going on in a person's life is basically their business and it's not my problem nor is it my place to say anything and if we do find ourselves talking matters with of faith with another believer who seems to be wavering or indifferent perhaps we are reluctant to say anything it's not my problem And when we look at what's happening in the wider denominations, we can say, well, we just leave that for, for other people to interact with. It's not my problem. On the other hand, there are some of us who can't wait to jump into the ring and have a row with somebody about anything. Just because they disagree with us, it might not even be unorthodox. We just want to have a fight. That is something that we see as well. And there's not much to applaud either of those extremes. There's no point being aggressive, but there's no point in being naive either. And so Jude encourages us to contend for the faith by reaching out to others. He says in verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. Don't make it any harder for people than it already is as they struggle with doubt. I have found that when somebody is going through a period of doubt or struggle they're embarrassed to talk about it they have to go very far in feeling isolated and alone and struggling before they say anything they feel fearful of what you might say about their doubt or they feel embarrassed or they feel guilty and don't know how to express it we've got to be merciful to those who doubt We all feel the burden of doubt at various times in our lives. The influences around us pulling us away from belief in the gospel. And if you're experiencing an episode, a season like that today, don't suppress those questions. Don't be embarrassed about them and don't run away. In Jude, there were those unsettled by this teaching and the lifestyles that came with it. And they had begun to doubt It's a very human response when circumstances and and cultures begin to change. And we contend for the faith by reaching out to those who doubt, to those who are struggling. And so we hear them carefully. We encourage them to talk to us honestly. We pray with them sincerely. We encourage them with the scriptures. We get alongside them. We welcome them into that experience together and we seek to help them. Because we are working from a position of having experienced mercy. And we want to extend that to others. And we ought to be involved in that collectively, to do that together. He goes on to talk about saving others by snatching them out of the fire. Which seems to be perhaps a little bit further down the track of doubting. And this perhaps is a conversation you may have with your friend who is becoming completely unstable in in their convictions about the faith, who feels that maybe they they ought to just jump ship and forget it. It could be a lack of confidence, for example, in the authority of the Bible or an issue with a particular teaching. But it's not too hard to imagine, really. I think we've all confronted circumstances like that. I mean, how many times have you've seen someone for example who once promoted the faith confidently and then they perhaps get into a relationship with someone who isn't so confident in the faith and before you know it the the gospel convictions begin to erode and move and they look like they might abandon the faith entirely or perhaps a friend who has said i don't think i really want or need to come to church anymore i don't really think that's necessary or someone who once read and loved the Scriptures, but now think it's more of a, a good read than, than an authority in my life. We may find ourselves across a table with someone, with one of those scenarios, or something different, or something similar to that, rather. And at that precise time, it may be your responsibility to try to grab that person and snatch them back for the gospel, so to speak. To help them see the urgency of what is going on in love, but to talk to them frankly with mercy, to warn them sternly but lovingly that they are in danger of abandoning the faith. But well, we need to know too that even the best response at precisely the most opportune time may not guarantee that that person will respond favorably to you. Ultimately, that will be down to their responsibility to God and you can't force that type of thing to happen but we don't just sigh and say hey it's not my problem we've got to reach out with proactive mercy then things seem to take a further step with to others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh perhaps this is in reference to the false teachers themselves and maybe those who've bought in fully to their teaching but you notice the theme of mercy continues but with a fear attached in this instance and that is a mindfulness of who God is when these things are at stake it is a reminder to have a appropriate sense of fear for who God is in his holiness and to remind ourselves also we're not immune from similar errors or similar sense of wanting to drift away and we always are vulnerable ourselves and when we are spending a lot of time talking to someone who perhaps is deeply struggling we can find ourselves being drawn in and feeling we're starting to struggle too And the language here shows ultimately just how serious it is to abandon the once and for all faith. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And this is really just a a strong way of emphasizing just how unsavory and disgusting it is to abandon God's purposes for self-rule. Flesh in the New Testament is a way usually of describing when we go for self-rule and not God's rule. And so why we show mercy, we've got to take the situation utmost seriously, guard ourselves, but all the time act in mercy, fearing the fact that it is a holy God we serve, and seeing the ugliness of sin for what it is. And while we show mercy, we must pray earnestly for God to restore people and bring them back, we can't overlook or condone behavior that is happening because it is a disgusting offense to the gospel. And finally, we contend for the faith for God's glory. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We contend for the faith, for God's glory. As I listened to that minister, Scott McKenna, give that short talk, I didn't have any great sense of glory or awe. I wasn't particularly inspired by the notion of inner transformation. Thinking about glory gives perspective, it gives weight, it gives a godness. It's not centered on us. It is the ultimate reference point in all reality. The universe itself is is but an inflection of the true glory of God. The scriptures are imbued with and exude the glory of God. Time and again we're giving insights into the majesty, power, the sheer brilliance of God on his throne, robed in majesty, ruling supreme, with the chorus of legions of angels surrounding him, praising him. And nothing can blemish God's glory. Nothing can sully his purity. No human mutiny can ever dent his throne. No setbacks Or false teaching can prevail. All will be engulfed by his glory. For mercy or for judgment. But glory, majesty, dominion and authority are God's. And these characteristics have been his eternally. And they will continue to be his. In our time and space and into eternity. That we have yet to experience. And can't even yet imagine. And so we contend for the faith with that in our sights. And when we dwell on the glory and dominion and majesty of God, as outlined here in this wonderful doxology, it raises our eyes from the sludge we often find ourselves in, from the mud and the mire of our personal struggles and collective grievances, the opposition, the disappointments, the uncertainty. And we need to soak in passages like this and to contend for God's glory when we feel defeated and when we find ourselves saying, I just can't do this. I can't keep going. I can't hold on. I'm losing this battle. We need this when those we had trusted in the faith, perhaps even those who had mentored us, leave the gospel behind. I've experienced that. We need this when we're battered and bruised by an oppressive culture that thinks us bigoted, narrow-minded, and intolerant, and we find ourselves squeezed out of social circles and social norms. We need to contend for the faith for God's glory. Because the gospel, the once-for-all faith delivered to the saints, magnifies the glory of God. The glory of the cross of Christ will be celebrated into eternity. The mercy, peace, and love the gospel of Jesus Christ secures will magnify the glory of our only God and Savior forever and ever and ever. And joy, therefore, will echo through the halls of eternity. Joy in the presence of a holy God who has removed their filthy clothes and given us garments worthy of his presence. This glorious God is your keeper. You see that verse 24? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. If you're doubting today, if you're feeling unsettled today, look at that verse. Now to him who is able to keep you, you, he is able to keep you. And he furthermore, is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. That once and for all faith enables you to be presented blameless before this God. That's the blamelessness Jesus secured. You will have nothing to hide. You might be carrying shame today. In Jesus, you have nothing to hide. You will have nothing to hide, nothing to fear. You will be presented Blameless. That is the great hope that this gospel secures. And that will be for God's glory. So contend for the faith with that in your sights. And so we build our faith, but we build it knowing that we are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept in Jesus Christ. And we build ourselves up in the faith knowing that God is able to keep us, able to keep us, to keep us from stumbling, able to present us blameless. And that truly is a cause for great joy and an incentive to contend for the faith. And so we contend and we reach out lest any others lose out on such a glory to come. And we do so with God and his glory as our goal. This once for all faith is a beautiful theology. It has no sell by date. It's eternal. And it will echo into eternity. And the gospel of the cross of Christ is the only way to transformation for us as individuals, for the church, for the world, for the universe. And that is what secures blamelessness for time and eternity. So may God help us to contend for that, to contend for the faith. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we only ever chip away at its, its true majesty and wonder. But at that, Lord, our hearts and minds are refreshed and encouraged and invigorated. May you press again these truths into our hearts and minds. And we know what it means to contend for the faith. Thank you for these words. We pray especially for those who are here today or those who we know who are struggling with doubt, struggling with the influence of pressures around them and culture or person in their lives. Would you warm them again with the truth of your word, with the glory to come, the blamelessness that this once for all faith has secured in Jesus' name.